Sweet, thank you. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome. Merry Christmas. I'm really encouraged. It's cold, it's wet, and yet so many of you have come out tonight to, to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Excited to have you here with us this evening. Thank you for coming out and braving the weather. For some of you, this is almost a sacred event. You'll come here every year, come rain, come shine, it doesn't matter, you're going to be here. And, and I praise God for you. You're here celebrating the birth of Christ and all that that means for His people, what that truly means for His people. For others, this may be your first Christmas, truly understanding what the birth of Christ means, what Christ has done for you, celebrating His birth and worshiping your Savior, perhaps for the very first time. And I'm particularly thankful for you. For some, you may not be entirely sure what this is all about. And that's understandable because in our culture, it really confuses things. There was a recent survey done of 2,000 homes, and at least a third of the children between the ages of 10 and 13 didn't even know that Christmas was about celebrating the birth of Jesus. They had no idea that it had anything to do with Jesus' birth. For many, Christmas is just about the giving of gifts, and that might be you tonight. For yet others, Christmas is about reliving wonderful memories. We have memories, right? Or making new memories. But maybe for you, it's a painful time. A time of remembering lost ones or difficult times in the past. That reminds me of a, of a message or a story given to a people group much like our own. A people who are struggling under a mighty burden. Political corruption and wickedness surrounded them. They were under constant threat of invasion from their enemies. And they could see no hope of finding a way out from under their burdens. Believe it or not, this is a Christmas story. The message was given about 2,700 years ago by the prophet Micah. So you're going to find it in the Old Testament book of Micah. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there if you would. Micah chapter 5. While you're turning there, I'll give you a little background. The prophet Micah proclaimed a message of mostly judgment to the people of Judah. They were a people persistently pursuing evil. It was a time of transition and uncertainty, political upheaval, under constant threat of invasion from their enemies. Idolatry was rampant. Their culture was in decline, and personal and social values were disintegrating. I wonder if that sounds familiar. God used Micah to warn of judgment. If the people continued in their wickedness, judgment was coming. But in chapter 5, we see this wonderful change in tone as Micah turns his attention to a promise of hope. This was a promise given to a tribe of people gripped by fear and worry for the future. Before we read it, let me open in prayer. Father, thank you for this wonderful time of year that I love. I love the music. I love the wrappings. I love the gifts. I love the, the excitement in the air. I love watching children open gifts. Thank you, Father, for all of these things. But most importantly, thank you for sending your Son, the gift of your Son, to, to be born in a manger, ultimately to live a life that was honoring to you because he came here to serve he came here to be a servant. And Father, He came here to die so that we might live. And so, Father, we give You praise for that. Thank You for that. Thank You for Your Son and the birth that we're celebrating this evening. 
So, Father, I just pray that you bless this time, that we can be in your word tonight. May we have ears to hear and hearts that will be changed because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what he said, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. This was about 750 years before the birth of Christ. Times have been hard, but Micah is promising that better days are coming. Days when the little town of Bethlehem would be the birthplace of one who would be the greatest ruler the world had ever seen. And that's not hyperbole, by the way. The text says that this new king was somehow connected to ancient days. He would be connected to the eternal God himself. My friends, this was a message of great hope for a suffering people. Even even though their suffering was brought on by their own sin, God refused to let go of his false and faithless people. Despite dwelling in a land of darkness, a, a spiritual darkness that was of their own choosing, God is promising that he will never forget his people. They may have turned their backs on him, but he would never, never turn away from them. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? Do you feel like you're under a burden? Even one of your own design? Perhaps sin is pervading your life and you feel like you're in desperate need of hope. You're beaten down, overwhelmed, broken, living in your own self-chosen spiritual darkness, perhaps. Like these people were living with the consequences of your sin. My friends, God's grace never lets go. He never releases His sovereign grip on His people. That's good news. Amen? Amen. Micah continues in verse 4. So this new ruler is coming, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is a new kind of king. He'll shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, grounded in God himself, and he'll bring security to the nation and to the ends of the earth, and he'll rule in peace. But he won't just rule in peace. He will be their peace. A man of peace, this new king, would be qualitatively different from anything the Jews or the rest of the world had ever seen. He shall stand and shepherd his flock. My friends, this is our God. He will bring bring peace to a suffering people. Now we know that conflict, war, pain has accompanied mankind since the very beginning, hasn't it? We've all known people we've lost this year who are suffering now, even as we speak. We're not talking about a military peace or a political peace. We're talking about a spiritual peace. A peace that includes concepts like love, loyalty, truth, grace, redemption, justice, blessing, righteousness, wisdom, 
These are all components of the peace that Micah is promising will come through this ruler. And this ruler, of course, is none other than the child that we're celebrating today, Jesus Christ. In fact, later in his life, Jesus would encourage his followers. He's heading toward the cross. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We can be at peace. This was no worldly leader, a dictator, a tyrant, or a flawed man or woman like all of the other leaders in this world. Micah promises he will stand and shepherd his flock. A shepherd doesn't rule by the sword, my friends. A shepherd leads with compassion and gentle care for his sheep. The shepherd shepherd king would lead, he would feed, he would protect, and he would care for his people. He'll rule over his people even as a shepherd watches carefully, even affectionately over his sheep, watching for the wolves, keeping them from harm, and bringing them back into the fold when they stray, even disciplining the sheep to keep them from harm. That's what a shepherd does. God is promising that he will be with his people. It's a very intimate picture. He'll gather them. He'll assemble them into a flock, a family. And eventually he'll restore them. Even in times of judgment, even when walking through the valley of the shadow of death, my friends, it is good to be in the care of the good shepherd, isn't it? In the Gospel of John, Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd. He declared, I am the good shepherd. He is the one who would stand and shepherd his flock. He is the fulfillment of Micah's prophecy. I know my sheep, he said. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. That's the relationship between a kind, loving leader and a sheep that knows where their protection comes from. The good shepherd will do whatever it takes to protect his master's sheep. including, if he has to, die for them. And in fact, of himself, Jesus said that the good shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep. Jesus would have to die as that good shepherd so that his people could be redeemed. And that's what we look forward to, of course, during the Easter season, is to celebrate, to think about, to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. But for those who are feeling shut in on every side... The hurting, the suffering, Jesus brings the prospect of deliverance and security. This was a promise given to a suffering nation, displaced, lost, overwhelmed by their sin. It is to these people and to us that hope is given. Turn with me now to Isaiah chapter 9, if you would. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to see another wonderful promise of hope. The prophet Isaiah was a contemporary of Micah, and he also spoke much of the coming Messiah, and he also spoke much of judgment. You're probably going to recognize these words because those wonderful little children that were up here first thing this evening were singing straight out of this passage. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us, a child 
is born. You know these words, but let's marinate in them for a moment. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. My friends, a child is born. And he shall have dominion or rule over even the nation's governments, the world's governments. And that rule will be eternal. He'll rule forever. Isaiah identifies for us some of the attributes of this child king. He'll be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. These are his attributes. His very nature, this, my friends, is our God. Wonderful counselor. The word wonder implies deity. It's somewhat equivalent to supernatural. He'll be a supernatural counselor. When Abraham's wife, Sarah, asked at 90 years of age how she could possibly be the mother of a nation, how she could possibly give birth to children, God responded by asking her a question. He said, is anything too wonderful for me? Meaning, is anything too hard or too supernatural for God? Of course, the answer is an emphatic no, isn't it? Nothing is beyond the reach of his sovereign hand. This child would be no mere child. Isaiah's original audience would have known that this prophecy was a reference to the promised Messiah. The one who had come to save his people. You see, promises of a a coming Redeemer weren't new to them. Even way back in Genesis 3, God himself promised Adam and Eve that one would come to redeem his people, to be victorious over sin and death. They understood what Micah and Isaiah both meant when they talked about this coming child and his connection to ancient days. Even though sin had ended the world, someone was coming, God told Adam and Eve, Someone was coming who would be victorious over sin and death. And of course, that would be Christ himself. This was a long-anticipated ruler. As counselor, it's in Christ that the treasures of wisdom and knowledge reside. He is the great counselor, full of wisdom and perfect guidance for his people. Wonderful counselor, one whose judgment is perfect in every way. And he would do great wonders for his people. So I hope you can take time this Christmas season to meditate on the things that Christ has done for you. So when we ponder the wonders of God, that that, that his mighty deeds, his faithfulness to a frankly unfaithful people. When we do this, that we're reminded of his incomparable greatness, his kindness, his love. This is the hope that we have based on his great work on the cross for us. A hope that was promised thousands of years ago. He'll also be called Mighty God. This is a focus on His sovereign rule and strength. This term, El Gabor, is used elsewhere in Scripture of of someone who was valiant in battle, victorious over their enemies. This child king would be mighty, more than a conqueror. So much so, in fact, that nothing will ever have the power to separate us 
from the good shepherd's care. Did you know that? No sin is too great for the Savior's love to deal with. Even death will have no lasting power over us. Not even world rulers or or the angels or events in this world, as difficult as they may be, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This, my friends, is our God. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. David writes in Psalm 24, Who is this King of glory? And then he answers his own rhetorical question. He is the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And Moses writes in Deuteronomy 10 that the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, meaning he's more powerful than anything. He is the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. Great, mighty, loving He's shown himself to be the mighty God. So do you think you can rely on him in your trials and suffering? Of course you can. Of course. My friends, your circumstances might be hard. I don't know what you're going through this Christmas season or how hard your year might have been. I've seen more suffering and death in this past year than I would ever want to see. Friends approaching end of life, heartache. But God is faithful. He's faithful, a mighty warrior who never gives up on his people, who never turns his back on his people, a mighty shepherd who gently yet purposefully and perfectly cares for his sheep. This is our God. I I want this God on my side. (laughs) He'll be called the everlasting father. He comes from the everlasting, the ancient of days. And he's the father of the age to come, of a kingdom that will have no end. He is the author of eternal life. For all who believe, he will reign over and bless his people. Earthly kings will come and go, but Christ will reign and bless his people forever. And as father, he exercises care and concern on behalf of those people. He'll tend to us, direct and discipline us. Mighty God speaks of power and might to fight for and defend His people. But everlasting Father speaks of tenderness, heavenly concern that He has for His people in all of their circumstances. In your circumstances, my friends, He will never turn His back. Speaking to the believers in Rome, the Apostle Paul said that they had received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, children of God, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. If you've received the living God, the Christ, and trusted Him for the forgiveness of your sins, then you too can call out to Him and cry out, Father, Father, and receive the gift of eternal life in Christ. For these Jews, the familiarity of calling Yahweh their God, Father, was unthinkable. But for us, thanks to Christ and His great work, we're a part of the family of God. Fellow heirs with Christ of eternal life. Finally, Prince of Peace. This is the essence of His rule. Prince of Peace, 
There will be an end to war, my friends. There will be an end to famine, to pain, to suffering, to disability, to illness. There's going to be a peace that the world hasn't known since the fall. The Prince of Peace conquers not by the sword, not by overthrowing human government, but by a message of great and eternal peace. This is a peace that allows us to rest at night knowing that He is in control of His flock. That we, as sheep of His pasture, are are safe. Safe now in His sovereign control, even in the difficult things of life. Even in our difficult circumstances, and one day in His very presence, He will never let go of us. What a great assurance for a people who were lost in idolatry, fear, greed, and sin for those people 2,700 years ago and for us today. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And he said, In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off in your sin have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, reconciling us to God in one body through the cross. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. My peace I give to you, he said. You are no longer strangers and aliens. Listen to this. Paul says, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Praise God. Our sins separated us from God. But Jesus' work on the cross can bring you back into the family. If only you repent of your sin and trust him for the work that he has done. Isaiah's prophecy speaks both to the now and to the not yet. The child wouldn't bring political or military peace to this world, but he will bring peace in the age to come. Through Christ, we have been reconciled, brought into a right relationship with God. Through the work of Christ, we can now stand before God, forgiven, ready to be brought into his presence, ready to be brought home. For now we're strangers and aliens in this world, but the time is coming, friends, when we will get to live with Him in eternity. Never again will God's people experience the pain, the suffering, the disease. Don't you long for that day? No more death, no more pain, no more cancer. But even now, never again do you need to worry, fear the unknown. Jesus Christ has come. And with peace comes victory, victory over sin, victory over death. This title, Prince of Peace, peace, reflects both his ability and the power to bring about this eternal peace, even in a world where many don't care to have it. This is his name, my friends, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Beloved, how could you stand or, or sit in the case this evening? How could you be here and be unmoved before Him? How could you hear of His perfect guidance, power, faithfulness, affection, and not be wrenched to adoration? His reign shall be eternal. Of, of peace, writes Isaiah, there will be no end. No one will ever be able to overthrow Him. No one will ever be able to oppose his authority or to undermine him. This is our God, and none shall compare to him. 
Finally, I want to circle back to the beginning words of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The prophet writes, For to us a child is born, and note this, to us a son is given. And this wasn't a 700 B.C. gender reveal party that he was doing. He wasn't just saying this so that we'd know the gender of this child, so there would be no surprises when he came along. He wasn't repeating himself. To us, a son is given. This was a very uh, theologically precise statement. This, my friends, is proclaiming the greatest gift of them all. Can you see it? To us, a child is born. That's Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the, the baby in a manger born in Bethlehem. But unto us, unto us, a son is given. It's none other than the eternally existent Son of God. In Jesus Christ, God has given us the most amazing, wonderful, unearned, undeserved gift of them all. This child, an incomparable gift, a gift on which no man has claim. He is the greatest gift of all. For God so loved the world that He did what? He gave His only Son, That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Beloved, the consequence of sin is necessarily death. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the gift the Jews desperately longed for. The redemption they needed. And Jesus Christ is that very gift that we need too. In order to be put right with God, to be able to stand before God, blameless and acceptable in His sight. The light, wrote the Apostle John, has come into the world. The light has come into a world of darkness. But the prophet Isaiah wrote that Jesus would be despised and rejected of man. Can you imagine that and, and, and all the things that we know about him and what he's done and where he's from and who he is? Jesus will be despised and rejected of men. People today continue to reject him. People love the darkness. They love their sin. I hope that's not you tonight. You may celebrate Christmas and love the lights and the wrappings and the Christmas trees. I love all of that stuff. And the gift giving, I love that. But do you love the Savior, the greatest gift ever given? The child we celebrate is great, mighty in prospect, and completely sufficient for every need. The prophet Isaiah declared that degradation became honor. The darkness has been replaced by light, and we've been delivered. The the enemy has been defeated already, all because a child has been born. And a son has been given to us. This is our God. He is all we need. The bondage of sin and death has been shaken off. This child king, the dear son of God, has qualified us to be inheritors of the kingdom. We're all sinners. But Christ's great work made it possible for us to be made right with God. If you don't know how that works... Please find someone here tonight who does. There's no better time than now to receive what the Lord Jesus Christ has already done for those who He has chosen. 
Don't be the one who finally bows his knee after a lifetime of rebellion. Don't waste your life when you know that you could be living it for the Lord. We wouldn't expect redemption to come from a child, would we? You wouldn't expect salvation to be possible from one who was born into this world. But if you're looking for light out of darkness, freedom from bondage, a kingdom of righteousness that has no end, it's that very child that has the key. It was his redeeming work on this earth, on the cross, that made it all possible. All this is from the little town of Bethlehem. Too small to be of any significance in the world. But we know that the Lord delights to use the weak and despised things of this world to shame the wisdom of the world. That we may boast in God alone. Christ is where it all begins. Even as tonight we think about and celebrate a baby in a feeding trough, swaddling clothes and all. Pray with me, please. Father, we have no right to a claim on, on what you have done for us. We have no right to say we deserve redemption before you. We are indeed sinners in need of a Savior. And, and tonight we celebrate the birth of that Savior. Tonight we celebrate that, that a son was born, but indeed a son was given to us. Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of them all. Thank you for that gift. Father, I pray that you turn our hearts and our minds to you to praise and to celebrate your incredible, incomparable goodness and never turning your back on us. Father, we thank you for that. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.